All right, today we are spending time on this whole topic of hope. And when I was thinking of hope this week, I had a story that came to mind about a retired, uh, a retired school teacher who decided she was going to volunteer to visit and teach young children in a large hospital nearby her house. So one day the phone rang. She received her first ever assignment as a new volunteer. On the other end of the line uh, was uh, the classroom teacher of a young boy who had been hospitalized and needed tutoring during his stay in the hospital. The volunteer teacher took down the name of the boy, the hospital room number, and uh, was told by the classroom teacher that this boy had been studying nouns and adverbs before he was hospitalized. And so could you please work with him on that kind of stuff? Well, it was not until uh, the visiting teacher got just outside the boy's hospital room that she realized that he was a patient in the hospital's burn unit. She was prepared to teach English grammar, but what she was not prepared for was the sights and the smells that come from burnt human flesh. Nor was she prepared to see a young, a little boy in that much pain. Everything around her made her want to, want her to hold her nose and turn around and leave as quickly as she could, but something inside of her stopped her and kept her from walking away. And so she clumsily sort of stammered over uh, to the bedside and said simply, I'm your hospital teacher. Your school teacher asked me to help you with nouns and adverbs, and she began to teach him. The next morning when she came back to the hospital for lesson number two, uh, a nurse from the burn unit rushed over to her and said, what did you do to that boy? Well, this teacher began to apologize profusely. I'm so sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. But before she could finish, the nurse interrupted her. No, you don't understand. We've been really worried about this boy. Uh, his condition has been going downhill over the past few days because he'd completely given up hope. But ever since you were here, ever, ever since you spent time with him yesterday, she said, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, and he's starting to respond positively to the treatment. It's though he decided to live. What did you say? Later, the nurse actually uh, ended up questioning the little boy himself, and he gives an account of what happened. He said, I figured I was doomed that I was gonna die until I saw that teacher. And a tear slowly begins to roll down his little cheek. He finished, but when I saw that teacher, I realized that they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? <laughs> it's the power of hope, isn't it? There's, there's uh, thousands and millions probably stories about the power of hope, of real hope, because hope changes everything. I ran across some uh, interesting uh, research this week that I've never seen before from done by Johns Hopkins University professors and doctors over the course of, I don't know, 60 or 70 years. Uh, one of the doctors was a guy by the name of Dr. Kurt Richter. Richter studied rats over decades. He researched all kinds of things about them. One of the things that he did is he, he, uh, he studied how long rats could survive in water. Seems like sort of an odd thing. He stumbled on some interesting research. He, he, he took rats, put them in a large uh, tank of water, and found that rats could survive on average 80 hours. Isn't that incredible? They could, like wild rats could swim for 80 hours until, they were, until their bodies were physically exhausted and they would give up and have to be rescued. 80 hours. How many hours do you think you'd last out in the open sea or something? 80, I thought it was pretty crazy, 80 hours. But he, he kind of kept testing in, in different kind of situations, different kind of settings. He took him, for instance, and put him in a smaller tank uh, and 
uh, they would go around and around and around the smaller tank and give up much more quickly when they realized there was no exit, there was no way out. In fact, you want to guess what the average amount of time was it would take for them to give up in that kind of setting? Two minutes. Two minutes. He said, however, they found if you were to take rats and rescue them out of those smaller containers, even just give them a, a two, three, four minute respite, five minute respite, and, but the, you taught them that they can be saved, put them back in, they can last 80 hours again. Is that crazy? As they were doing research and trying to figure out what it was, uh, you know what they concluded? They concluded, their conclusion came to one word. They said, you know what the difference is? Hope. Hope is powerful, right? It, it put us in conditions and give us hope, and we can withstand all kinds of pressure. We can live through horrendous sort of things. It's the power of hope. I was reading about some clinical drug trials this week. It's a good example of the power of hope. Oftentimes in uh, clinical drug trials, uh, a certain medication is compared with an inactive substance commonly referred to as, you know what? Placebo, right? Placebo. Recent studies of antidepressants uh, were, were kind of raising questions about the effectiveness uh, when compared to a placebo in a double-blind, random sort of uh, clinical trial. But what's most notable is that in this clinical trial where a placebo was engineered to produce similar side effects, so people knew they were getting something, similar side effects as to the regular drugs, but having no real medicine in it whatsoever, the, the, uh, the results were almost identical to the real medicine versus the placebo. I'm not uh, taking pot shots at antidepressants or anything like that. They have their place. But what was interesting to me is why did the placebo work? You know what they found? One word, guess, take a guess. Hope. There's one, uh, one researcher said it's sort of like hope in pill form, a placebo. Right? It's like hope in pill form. People thought they were getting medicine. They had hope that they could get better, and they did. Hope is powerful, friends. With hope, we can withstand amazing kinds of hardships, but without it, when it is lost, we wither up, we don't last, we shrivel up on the inside. Hope is unbelievably important to our lives. Someone once said, you can go 40 days without food. You can live three days without water. You can survive eight minutes without air, but you can't go for a single second without hope. It's powerful. The Bible puts it like this in Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You hope sort of put off, right? Hope that, that isn't around makes the heart sick. You know, this time of year we talk a lot about things like hope and peace and love and the joy of the season, all that kind of stuff. We send Christmas and holiday cards to friends and to coworkers, and we talk about the hope of the season. But for many of us, that's not really our experience during this overcrowded season, and maybe not our experience in many parts of our lives. Well, today we're going to talk about hope. And as I was thinking about it this week, I was reminded about how easy it is for us to lose hope, for us to become discouraged, for us to become disillusioned at times. It seems like life has a way of sort of uh, beating the hope out of us, doesn't it? Over the course of time, it's easy to get discouraged or disheartened, so easy to let hope erode in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you or I or, or some of us had a relationship or a marriage and we had high hopes for it. And yet year after year after year after year, those hopes just kept eroding for a good marriage. We thought, I don't know, I'm not sure it's possible. 
Or maybe you had a marriage, a marriage and your hope for that marriage has been shattered by divorce or by death, by an affair of some sort. Maybe you had business and career plans or financial plans, and yet year after year, things have not gone as planned, and our hope has eroded in a downward direction. Maybe even our, self, our sense of self-worth has been sinking lower and lower. Maybe you had high hopes for a child, but as the child gets older, you start questioning those hopes more and more. Or maybe even worse, maybe you've accomplished what you had set your hope on, and yet when you arrived, it didn't fulfill you like it promised. And suddenly the subtle fog of despair is clouding into your life, and you're sort of losing hope that life could be what you imagined it could be. It doesn't matter who you are. At some point in life, right, life tries to beat us down, tries to get us to lose our hope. But this morning, I think, I really think that God wants to infuse you and infuse me with real and lasting hope, a living hope, as we'll see later, an undying hope, hope that will encourage you, that will infuse your soul with an expectant and faith-filled heart once again. I'm going to start out looking at Isaiah 9. It's a prophecy uh, written about the coming of Christ, the first Christmas, and about what his coming would mean. We read a couple verses from it last week, but I want to, we're going to kind of bookend the message with this passage from Isaiah 9. Listen to how it starts. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Listen to this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Direction, right? And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Hope has come, he's saying. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased their joy. It means you, he has led people out of darkness and into light. And as a result, they are filled with joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing up the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. It's a picture sort of like a, of a yoke, like maybe that an ox has, this heavy yoke on his shoulders. And he's straining, he's pulling this heavy load forward, hundreds and hundreds of pounds. And then this yoke gets shattered, it gets broken. And what happens? There's freedom, right? There's lightness. There's release. Let's go on. Verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled up in blood will be destined for burning. Be no more. Be fuel for the fire. But listen to this. Verse 6. For all of this is going to happen because of, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. The, a picture of kingship, like a, a royal robe that's placed on the shoulders of a king. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's crazy. It's a prophecy written about the coming of Jesus. It's written verifiably 700 years before Jesus is born. 
And God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, he's sort of saying to the people, be looking for this coming Messiah. Be, be, be looking. Keep your eyes open. Be ready because hope is coming. He's saying, I know it might seem dark right now. It might seem hopeless. It might feel discouraging. I know that maybe you can't see or understand everything, but a light is coming into the world. Hope is coming. And when he comes, because of his, his life and because of his death and because of his resurrection, there will be no more gloom or despair. For those living in bondage and enslaved by sin, there will be freedom and hope is coming. For those who suffer, who live, uh, who, who are suffering under injustice, justice is coming. For those that are struggling, joy is coming. It's saying hope is on the way, God is saying in Isaiah 9. Because to you, he says, a child is born. To you, God's son is given. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father, your father. And the Prince of Peace. His good reign, his good and perfect kingdom will last forever, and you're invited to join it. Hope is right smack dab, friends, in the middle of the Christmas story. Even 700 years before it came about, God is pointing ahead, right through the prophet Isaiah, shouting, Hope is on its way. And 700 years later, finally, hope is here, but it's only found in one place. Real hope changes everything. It's like air to the lungs, but not misplaced hope, not false hope. That just makes things worse. You know, it's interesting, but even here, there's dozens and dozens of prophecies written throughout the Old Testament that are like this one, that are pointing ahead to the day when the Savior was coming, when the Messiah, the promised one, right, so to speak, would come and would rescue the people, God's people in the world. There are dozens and dozens of these prophecies peppered throughout the Old Testament, pointing ahead and saying, hope is on its way. Be ready. Be looking. Right? And yet when the day appears, did they find him? Were they ready? Did they, did, did, did they recognize him? No. I mean, out of the entire world, a handful of people recognized this coming king, recognized this hope that had broken into our world. Only a, a handful of a small group of people out of the entire planet recognized that Jesus, the Messiah, was born. The people have been waiting, they've been looking, but when it actually happened, when God actually came down to earth, almost everybody misses it. John describes it like this. He uses a word picture. It's a little tough to understand, but stick with me. Uh, he, he says this in John 1. Verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the word. Just trust me when I say the word is Jesus, okay? This will make it so much easier. But he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life. Now listen to this. And that life was the light of all mankind, right? He's going back and saying, man, this is, he's, he's pointing to Jesus. He's saying, yes, it's dark out there in the, world, in the world, but the light is breaking in. Hope has arrived in the world. Verse 9, it says, the true light that gives light to, to everyone was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world now, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They missed him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
the hope of the world, the light of the world, the Savior of the world has come, but God's people missed him. They missed him. Why? Because they were looking and hoping for someone else. Jesus didn't come with great glamour and power. He didn't bring a big angel army with him to kick some butt down here, right? That's not the way he came the first time. It's pretty similar to how he's going to come the second time. But the first time, he came what? In the form of a helpless, dependent baby. It wasn't real glamorous at the time. He was born in a barn, born in a cave, born in a, we say a stable, right? Was laid in a manger in that day. Now, the people in that day, they were hoping for, God's people were hoping for a great military warrior king of sorts. Someone who would raise up an army and overthrow Rome, which had taken and, and encroached into their land. They were hoping somebody that could raise up an army and annihilate them. They wanted to see their country be made great again. Their hope was in military might. Their hope was that their country might be great. They placed their hope in the wrong thing, and as a result, they missed out on Jesus. They missed out on the coming of the promised one. They missed out on the Savior, God's Son. They missed out on the hope of the world. I wonder if we ever do that. I wonder if we ever uh, put our hope in something other than God, primarily. I wonder if we ever hope in all kinds of other things and miss out on Him and His plans for us. I wonder if we ever miss out on hope because our gaze is on the wrong things. Friends, as long as our confidence is misplaced, we too can miss the hope and the life and the love of God in this season. We can inevitably end up sinking down slowly but surely into despair, into frustration, into hopelessness because our hope is in the wrong things. I mean, think about it. If, if our ultimate hope uh, requires uh, people around us to act a certain way, our husbands or wives to change in order to, to, uh, to, to, in order for my life to go well, then I will likely end up disappointed and discouraged. If I need people to act a certain way or do a certain thing, it's not always going to work out that way, is it? If my ultimate hope is even in my own ability to perform and to work things out and to organize my life in a way that leads to my own happily ever after, chances are at some point, at some point I will be disappointed. I will be disillusioned. Things will not work out the way I think because I can't control nearly as much as I think I can. If my ultimate hope is in things working out the way I want, getting the grades all the time that I want, landing the perfect job, making scores of money, marrying Prince Charming, or who does Prince Charming marry? Mary, I don't know. Is that Cinderella? Is that Snow White? Yeah, there it is, Snow White, yeah. If it requires all that kind of stuff and we live happily ever after with no problems, at some point, reality will hit and we'll be disillusioned, won't we? If that's where we put our ultimate hope, we can land in despair and we can miss Jesus. But if my ultimate hope really is in God, is in who he is, is in his promises, if, if that's where my ultimate hope lies, if I put my ultimate hope in God and the fact that he is good, his character, and that I belong to him and that he's got me, he's got my life, and that even all the trials and suffering and this junk that goes on in my life, he can work and use for his purposes, his eternal purposes in me. 
to make me more like him and to, to bring glory to himself, to show his power, to show his light, to, to proclaim his message to, to the world. And all of a sudden, I can have hope despite circumstances. No matter how things end up, if my hope is in him, then I can find and I can choose and I can cling to hope even when things don't go my way. That's real and lasting hope, hope that cannot be taken away, hope that can't be eroded or diminished. Friends, Christmas brings hope into our lives. It's always been, it's always been that way. It's always meant to bring hope to us, but not because of magical light displays, not because of glorious presents, holiday bonuses, having a magical family gathering or anything else. Those are fun. Those are great things, but not the ultimate lasting hope for our lives. We get a glimmer of hope in the Christmas story because the Savior has come. Because God's Son has come for us, the Emmanuel, the God that is with us. Because God loved you and me so much that he came for us. That he came to this earth. He came down from heaven to earth. And he lived a life without sin. And he died a death on the cross. Paying the price for our sins. But then he rose again from the dead on Easter. Showing that he is victorious. Showing that he has conquered sin. That he has conquered hell. He has conquered death. That he is alive and powerful and active. And now he offers to forgive, to bring us back into his family. He offers to fill us with his power and with his spirit. He offers us life forevermore with him in heaven. It offers to be our God, to walk with us, to lead us, to guide us today, tomorrow, and forever. That is where the hope of Christmas begins. That's a living hope. That's a hope that cannot be shaken. The disciples, right, the early Christians understood this. Listen to how Peter describes this. In 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 through 4, he says this. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth, new birth, into a what? What does that say? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never be touched, can never perish, spoil, or fade. What's, what's Peter's hope anchored to? What's Peter's hope anchored to? Jesus and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He was there, right? Peter said, hey, I was there. I was there when we put Jesus' body in the tomb after he died on the cross. I was there when they rolled the stone in front of it and posted guards. I saw it with my own eyes. And I also saw him three days later when he kicked the end out of the tomb and came back to life, when he came and called me to him as he was fixing breakfast on the beach, right? I ate with him. I saw him. He is alive. He was dead, but not even death could stop him. He rose again from the dead. That's this baby that was born. He came to live and to die, but then to rise again. And because of that living Savior, there is hope. And Peter says, man, that's a hope you can, it's a living hope. It's unshakable. It's unchangeable. It doesn't matter what circumstances hit you, right? What's going to take that hope away? He's like, what are you going to do to me to erode my hope? You're going to kill me? Bring it, right? My hope is in the resurrected Savior who died and rose again. Not even death can stop him. You kill me, I will come back to life because I hope in one that died and rose again. What are you going to do? What, what could possibly 
take away my hope. My hope is a living hope in the resurrected Savior. You could put me in prison if you want. It's been done before, right, Peter says, right? My God, the living God, the resurrected Savior is big enough to bust me out. But even if he does not, my hope is in him. And he promises that he's working out his good and perfect plans for me and for his kingdom. If he wants to keep me in prison and wants to use that for his plans and purposes, he is able to sustain me and to keep me for the purposes he has for me. My hope is in him. It's, un it's unshakable. It's untouchable. My hope is in him. The Apostle Paul, writer of much of the New Testament, saw the same thing, understood this, and clung to this living hope in Christ in the, the same way. Listen to what he says in Romans 8, and a phenomenal passage. You should go home and read it sometime this week. Romans 8. Now keep in mind, was Paul's life all like hunky-dory and rosy and everything always work out well for him? No. No, I mean, here's, here's just the, the cliff notes of what we know of how his life has gone. He's been imprisoned. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been stoned, the kind with rocks, not the other kind, just in case you wonder. He's been shipwrecked, all kinds of things, right? But this is what he says, uh, Romans 18, hit verse 18, and then into 31 in that passage below. He says that I, I consider that our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, with what God's going to do, the hope that we have in God. Verse 31, he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is it then? Who's the one then that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, where's Paul's hope, right, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You're saying, what are you going to do? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Where's Paul's hope? Two things, right? In a person, the person is Jesus Christ. And in an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's living hope. What are you going to do? How are you going to dishearten or erode Paul or Peter or the early church's hope? They're like, are you serious? Right? Take your best shot. I have a living hope because Jesus is alive. I'm assured of eternal life. Because he lives, he's with me and in me. He's strengthening and guiding me and directing me. Because the Savior lives, I belong to him. My identity and my value and my worth are secure in the God who's crazy about me, who died to save me and rose again. If our hope, friends, is in our circumstances, in our own abilities, in anything else, then we are in huge trouble. Some, at some point, the bottom's going to drop out. But if we are looking to and entrusting ourselves to the resurrected Savior, the hope of the world, if we are clinging to him, then there is great hope no matter the circumstances. Jesus himself says this in John 16, 33. He says this, in this world, you might have trouble. So it says, in this world, you, what does it say? Will, Will have trouble. But take heart, he says. What does it say? I have overcome the world. I have conquered 
the world. If your hope is based on circumstances, you will have trouble, Jesus says. You will experience despair. You will lose hope at some point. You will be disappointed. Hope, Jesus says, is found in this. I have overcome the world. Hope is anchored, friends, to a risen Savior. I wonder what your hope is anchored to these days. I wonder what you're looking to inevitably for your hope, for your life. I read this week some articles by a Christian psychologist that's focused his entire career on working with couples that are headed for divorce, sort of uh, those couples that had lost hope that their marriage could ever possibly get better. And he did this because so many times he was able to see transformation to come and new life be brought back into these marriages and these marriages spared and saved. In fact, he got to, to be a part of that time and time and time again. And finally, somebody asked him and said, what's your secret? How do you, how do you make this happen in these couples' lives? And here's what he said. He said, I just try to find, I just try to get 10% improvement in their marriage. He said, when couples get 10% improvement, they get hope. And when they get hope, anything is possible. The birth, the life, the death, but ultimately, right, the resurrection of Jesus, the victorious resurrection of Jesus is sort of like that 10%, that extra boost that fills your life and mine with hope, that reminds us that anything is possible with him. It allows us to cling to hope despite the circumstances, no matter what comes. When you go, when you, you get a bad prognosis from the doctor, you can have hope enough to hold on because there's a Savior that is risen, that is alive, that has come for you. And he is more than able to heal, but even if he does not, he is the God of resurrection and life. And he promises to take those who have put their trust in him home to live with him forever. There's hope. He's the God of resurrection and life, the God of all hope. We can have hope even in the midst of family and relational problems. We can know that we're loved and secured and we're adopted in his family. He paid an enormous adoption fee for you. That's how much you matter to him. He's also the God who restores, who makes all things new. He's the God that can bust into marriages, can bust into families, can bust into relationships or work or school or whatever. And even if he does not come through in the ways that we hope, he's enough to sustain you and to fill you and to provide for you, even in the hard times. When you lose your job, when you screw up on that final exam, when your family is coming apart, when your work environment is horrible, when your girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you, when life seems empty, when you're exhausted, when your finances are depleted and you feel like you're going under for the last time, there is a living hope in the living God. Friends, there's hope for you, there's hope for me. This morning, no matter what's happening in your world, no matter what's happening in your life, there is hope. Because a child has come, a Savior has come for you. Because a son, God's son, has been given for you to bring you hope, to bring you life. He's known as the wonderful counselor, the one who fills us and is with us and is in us to empower us, to lead us, to direct us forever. He's known as the almighty God, the one who spoke the world into being, as well as the one who died, and not even death could hold him down, but rose again. He's 
was the almighty God, the victorious one. He's known as the everlasting father, the one who has adopted you, the one who has loved you with a, with a never-ending love, the one who came after you because he loves you that much, and the prince of peace, the one who came to bring you peace. So there's hope this morning, a living hope that comes from a living Savior. There's hope, and that changes everything. Right now, I'm going to have the worship team come up uh, in just a minute here, and they're going to play a little bit of music. And uh, I told you last week that sort of our, uh, our Christmas series is a little different than, than uh, perhaps others. Um, but uh, we don't want you just to hear a good message and be like, good message, Pastor. And we want to give you an opportunity to experience these things for yourself. And so this morning, I was, I was trying to, to think about how, how could we give people an opportunity to, to really experience hope afresh. And certainly, I think a message is part of that, bring, bringing us back and reminding us who, who our Savior, our risen Savior is, remembering why he came, remembering his plans for us. That's important. But I think sometimes uh, all of us go through times, right, where stuff is just hard. And I was aware of that as I was writing the message this week. We're, we're just going through a hard season, and sometimes... Even though our hope is in God, we need to come alongside some others and sort of borrow from their hope and borrow from their faith a little bit and have some other people maybe pray for us and, and love on us a little bit. And so uh, I've invited a few um, prayer people to come up front with me, and we're going to give opportunities just to pray. And so if there's big things going on in your life, things that are causing you stress these days, things that are um, maybe eroding your hope, Maybe things that uh, just this time of year are crazy and, and you feel out of focus, you feel out of balance. If there's big things or little things or anywhere in between and you feel like you'd like to have somebody pray for you and pray God's hope for you and God's power uh, on your life and that kind of thing, uh, we're going to invite you in just a moment to come up front and to experience God's hope. As well, maybe, uh, maybe that's a, a stretch for you or maybe that's not what you need this morning. And if that's the case, then uh, during uh, during this time, I just encourage you to use to, to just connect with God. Just turn your heart and your eyes to God. Just pray to Him. Uh, connect with Him. Receive His peace directly from Him this morning. Maybe uh, maybe the truth be told, uh, if you're honest, your hope has been a little bit misplaced lately. And maybe you want to use this time to just um, just turn back to God and say, God, would you forgive me? For, for putting my hope, put that hope in, in, in anything other than you. Would you forgive me for that sin? Would you wash that away? And would you teach me and lead me and guide me and fill me afresh this morning? Teach me to look to you, to have hope in you, to keep you at the forefront of my life. I need you. These next few minutes are just going to be a time for you to connect with God, however you need. If you want prayer, again, we'll invite you to come up. I'll have the prayer team come up now. If you want to just spend some time with God, that's great. Uh, you can do that in just a couple minutes. The, uh, the, the band will transition and, and we'll start, um, we'll, we'll receive the offering as we, uh, as we finish up praying up here. And, uh, and then we'll, we've got one more worship song that we'll do. And that will be up at the end. Let me just pray for us and then, and then these next few moments that we intercede and pray. Father, we thank you that we have a living hope Savior has come. 
therefore our hope can be unshakable. That a God who loves us, a God who is victorious, a God who is with us. And Father, we pray that you would just meet with us here in these next moments. That you would breathe your hope into us afresh. We love you, we need you. We open our hearts to you.